the volume. Hey guys, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. It might be cold, but the sports calendar is heating up, baby, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and so, so easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. And when you win, you're gonna get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like with the spread, money line, over, under, team totals, player props, and so much more. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out the same game parlay plus. Get in on that. And... FanDuel is now live in Maryland, y'all. So use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, So it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, Just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. So do you normally agree to do podcasts when you're shmammered drunk at a wrestling show or is this an exception? I never agree to do podcasts ever. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so no, I was excited. Even when I got sober the next day, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do it. To be fair, you hold your liquor quite well. Cause I honestly would not have known that you were drunk. So, Hey, hats off to you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. A I, it was pro. Yeah. It was, I don't drink much at all anymore. So that was like four beers. And I was like, I was like <laughs> feeling like, whoa, like what's going on here? You know? <laughs> And you don't want to be that guy. It's not my show. Like, I was backstage at your show. I don't want to be the guy walking around drunk. So I think I was a little sensitive to it, you know? No, that's when you're allowed to be. You didn't have to do anything. You got to just be there as a fan. So you're allowed to throw back the beers. I mean, that's that's the vibe, right? It is. But, like, sure, if they were like, hey, get, here's a couple of tickets. Go, you know, go in your seats and enjoy and have a beer or two. That's one thing. Yes. Because then I'm part of the crowd and going crazy. But if I'm backstage where you guys are all working and I'm, you know, and and I'm blundering around drunk, that's no good. So I was probably like being hard on myself. If you didn't even notice, that's great. 
No, I had no idea. Honestly, I would not have had a clue. But do you get like an emotional hangover after something like that? Especially if you don't drink a ton and then all of a sudden you're there, you are, you're in the midst. It's loud. It's fun. All these things are happening. Do you like the next day be like, oh my God, was that weird? Like, I feel like I do that a lot. I get like that anxiety of like, I said something dumb. Jeez, like, come on, get it together. Do you do that to yourself? Yeah, that pretty much defined my 20s, uh, that feeling. My, my buddy Chris calls it the shame cave. Like when you wake up the next day and you're in the shame cave, what did I do? It's never as bad as you think. I think most people are like slightly amused when people are drunk, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's a thing. You know, I, I, I worry about it. I feel like I got worse as it as I got older. When I was younger, I was like, it's fine. I was all, we were all in the same boat. As you get older, though, I'm like, oh, my God, people don't need to see that from me. I'm like swearing a ton. It's just it's aggressive anyways. I like what you just described. So that sounds fun to me. Uh, <laughs> we would get on just fine then. We'll, Next we'll time, I'll, I'll partake buddies. with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, did good. you have fun? You were there at Full Gear. Um, was that your first time being at an AEW show? I know I've seen you guys backstage at WWE before. No, that was probably my fourth or fifth. I flew to Vegas for the pay-per-view out there. It was there. Anytime they're in the area, uh, me and uh, Sal and I try and go for sure. Hell yeah. Good, good, good. Um, I saw that you posted about MJF. We don't really have to get into it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's oh, fine. we can. I mean, we could talk about that piece of garbage anytime you want. <laughs> Piece of shit. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's talk about you Um, doing my research, getting ready for this interview. Dude, December 15th, 2011, when you guys debuted on TV. Holy shit. Like, honestly, like for a TV show to be on that long, for you guys to have the success that you've had with Impractical Jokers, do you really get to sort of kind of look back on that and like just relish in what you guys have been able to accomplish? It's pretty crazy. It's not, it's not real. We're just starting to get some awareness of how, um, of how bananas it is because like, you know, you're in it when you're in it, you're in it. And, and that's it. And then the pandemic went down, you know, brought us all down for two years. And like, I don't know, there's this thing now where one, now we're shooting season 10, which is like, that's a big number. How many episodes do you guys do a season? Uh, we've been doing 20, we've been doing 26 episodes of four specials for Ooh. yeah nine, nine years. That is a lot of cameras, a lot of love mics on you. That's a lot. It's a lot, but it's, you know, it's a fun job. It's not like it's difficult. Um, the thing now, which is weird because we live on, you know, I'm, I'm on Staten Island. I still live in, uh, you know, on Staten Island. I'm, I'm still here. We don't live in California. We're kind of removed a little bit from the industry in a, in a, in a weird way. So we never really have all the trappings that come with it. Like, I'm just home. I'm just, you know what I mean, where I am all the time. But there's this thing lately where it's like kids are coming up to me. I want to say kids. I mean, like people in their 20s like <laughs> are coming up to me and they're like, oh, my God. Like, I started watching the show like when I was in, like, in high school because we've been on 12 years now. So, you know, a kid that started when high school 14 is 26 now. And they're like, Damn. yeah, they're like, well, you got me through high school. You got me through college. We would sit in the dorm. Now I'm at work and I, you know, I'm, I'm working a job. I'm married with a family. And when I hear that, I'm, I start to be like, oh man, like, geez, I feel old. You're a staple in some people's lives. And like to be sort I guess like the way to look at it as well is like you've been welcomed into people's households. They have chosen to watch you guys for 12 years. Like, yeah, you really become a thread of like somebody's life to a degree. That's kind of bizarre. Yeah. 
And, and it's an honor. Like, I get it because there are things that do that for me. You know what I mean? There are shows that I go to when I'm just home. I'll throw on whatever. You know what I mean? And just turn it on. What are those things for you? What are your, like, go-to, feel good, you got to have it on? Got to have it on for me. Look, Golden Girls, it's going to be tough to top <laughs> Golden Girls. I love Golden Girls. Uh, that'll be on, uh, like, what we do in the shadows. Um, Ash versus Evil Dead, I watch over and over again. Um, there's like just tons of shows, you know what I mean? Like I try and rewatch Batman, the animated series every few years. God, my husband's really into that. Big into the Batman stuff. Oh, it's Batman. Yeah. Who's not into that, right? <laughs> you, I guess. <laughs> Listen, I think it's fine, but I think it is for like guys within that age range of what you're like 74. Yeah, yeah, I'm 74. 74, he's 85. <laughs> well, born in 74. <laughs> no, I was born in 76. 76, 76. 76. Yeah. Um, he's 85. So yeah, I guess like within that age range, if you guys are into like Batman. And did you, you miss the Ninja Turtles bandwagon? No, I was all in on the okay. Ninja Turtles as a kid. Yeah, I was there. When the first movie came out, I had a poster of Donatello. No, it was Raphael in a trench coat and a thing on my wall. Yeah, I had that. I loved it, man. I've always been like that. So I've always gravitated towards like um, stuff like that. Like, I mean, look, I mean, you look around, it's like it's all comic book stuff and what I've always gravitated to. Yeah, I was like a geeky little kid, so. I mean, to the point of like having stuff on that you're just like, like the feel good stuff. Like for us, it's Frasier. We always have Frasier on. That's like the going to bed. You put on Frasier. I fall asleep to the Crane family literally every night for the past like at least seven years. Um, so anyways, to the, the, the theme of being a thread in somebody's life and you guys being on television for 12 years, what do you think it is to the longevity of what you guys are doing from like when you guys started that like initial pitch of what Impractical Jokers is going to be to what you guys have been able to build over the last decade plus? Well, I think that we got lucky with some factors. Well, first and foremost, I like to think it's a funny show. You know what I mean? So people like to laugh. So like, that's where people like right away, we don't, we don't challenge you. We don't want you to think, you know what I mean? We're not asking you to like do anything but sit back and laugh. And I think that that is something whoever's delivering that to you is going to be uh, welcome. And then especially like we, we just had this perfect storm of time and a thing because like, you know, I don't have to tell you what the world's been like the past six, seven years. You know what I mean? So I think that there was a, there was two things going on. One, in the entertainment industry, there was not a premium on shut off your mind and think. Like it was like everything had to be a message or, or something or something like that. So we squeaked in as one of the few shows that were kind of like, hey, you could just shut your mind off and think. And I think that that, that helped us. I think people are like, oh man, I could just watch the show and like shut up and laugh. And they remind me of my friends or my cousin or my brothers and whatnot. And then the other thing too, it's like we were on True TV, which helped uh, because they didn't have anything else. Um, so they weren't going to cancel us because they didn't have anything else. So it's like- Thank God for that, right? Yeah. God, so many shows nowadays too. It's like, even if it's something that is great and you feel like it could have some really great substance, I feel like, you know, networks often have such a knee-jerk reaction to canceling things. Yeah. It's really awesome to be somewhere where they can let you grow and develop and figure out your voice, your tone, all that stuff. Because, I mean, shit, you look at something like even like Shit's Creek. That got yanked early on. And like to see the way that that show was able to grow and change. And now people are like so obsessed with a show like that. It's nice to be able to have a network backing to that degree. Yeah. And 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 to that to that end, too, it's like, we went through four different regime changes at True. Like the people who hired us were fired and new people were brought in and then they were fired and then new people were brought in. 
there was some lucky breaks. Like, you know, they would come in and like, all right, well, and now I'm in charge of this network. What's working? Practical jokers. Okay, just renew them. Get them, get them off. Like that. <laughs> Nobody yeah, wanted yeah. to be the people that came in and were like canceling practical jokers. It didn't make any financial sense for them. So we were able to kind of slip through the raindrops and like the show, because it's a reality show, um, they don't have to pay us to air it. It's not like, uh, like, like Frazier, they're paying him every time they air it. They don't have to do it. And like, that's a condition of signing a crappy contract when you're an unknown. But in a way, it's helped us too, because they, because you turn on true TV, it's impractical jokers. It's always on and they can do that. And that I think bolstered our popularity because we're, when you're channel searching, it's always on. Yeah, you can't not know what Impractical Jokers is. So we got lucky in that way. So so we, we do get lucky breaks and we work hard. We work really hard. So I think that, you know, it's just a mixture of what's worked for everybody. Just the, the right break at the right time and, and the right people around you. So I have worked alongside my husband for many years, whether in WWE, now in AEW. What is uh, your takeaway from being able to work alongside your best friends since high school and to have this project, this family, this baby together, the ups and the downs that come with that? It's as good as it seems from the outside. We uh, are really lucky in that we get along really, really well. We, we don't have like we're very considerate of each other. Like I love those guys. You know what I mean? And it's like not to say that every day has been like, a, a joy you know what I mean you have days where you're like you know we all go through I mean god we've been doing it so long and life changes and everything but for the most part it's just like those guys I genuinely love and it was like so you want to be respectful and I have faith in them and their talent so if Murray says something's funny even if I don't think it's like funny I'm like well let's back this play because he's a funny guy so it's just this really weird thing. We don't have problems. Like we don't have, there's no ego issues. There's no, there's no anything like that behind the scenes. Cause we just genuinely get along. And I think that that is the biggest thing that has gotten it this far without any problems. I love it. I love going to work. I love, we have in jokes. I mean, I'm around them more than anybody else in my entire life. So yeah. if you don't like them, you're kind of, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> the contract has been signed. You got to show your ass up to work anyway. So you might as well enjoy everyone that's there. Um, is there any kind of likening to being in like that boy band and there's like the one guy that always like ends up wanting to break away and do their own thing and have that solo career? Has that ever been like kind of a thing that's ever been a blip for you guys? Not really. I mean, I think there's an interest. There's a higher interest now in doing stuff outside of Jokers than there ever has been before. But that's just as the nature of like, look, after 12 years, you even if you want to keep doing this, you want to do something different. You, you know what I mean? You have to. You know, Joe left the show, which was um, a surprise to me. I didn't see that one coming. Um, you know, but yeah, what was so the reaction when that happened? Like, if you want to get into that, it wasn't really anything. Like, it was just I was just blown away because I didn't see it coming, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like, that's I didn't know you felt this way. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know that these things were going on with your family in a lot of ways. So it was it was. But personally, again, like I love Joe, and it's like I talk to him all the time. So it's like. It didn't cause any problems. Like the show didn't get canceled. If the show had canceled and I lost my job, then there might've been some tough conversations to, to have, sure, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, but since that wasn't the case, then it was more of an emotional toll than anything else. But the guy put in 10 years, like what, you know, how, how much more do you got to do? Um, so Sal loves stand-up. He always wanted to do stand-up. Uh, so he does a lot of stand-up now and Murray tours solo as well. But 
really for the most part, I, I, I like being collaborative, I think. So I don't really want to do much without them or other friends. I think also too, it's like I'm 46 and like I've had a TV show for 12 years. It's been a good show. I don't walk around being like, what else do I have to prove or do like what sure. you know what it's like. At the end of the day, you just get home and you're like, oh man, I'm just happy to be on the couch and watching White Lotus. Dude, you know what I mean? Yes. By the way, we caught up on the last episode last night. What a great show. Oh, oh my what god. What a great show, man. Unbelievable Jennifer show. Jennifer Coolidge, the 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 re-rise of a Jennifer Coolidge. I know. Unbelievable. Oh, she she's is just so spectacular. Good. She's she makes a line when she goes spoiler alert if you haven't seen the new episode, but like when she goes to snort those that cocaine and like she even does this thing where like she doesn't get the straw on the line. It's like bumps around and it's the most subtle thing. But it's like, you know, she's doing it on purpose. And it's so funny. It's so funny. And I think most people won't even notice that, you know. No, it's so nice. I which I just saw an article uh, or an interview with her as well, where she was saying that of like not wanting, she doesn't want to watch that perfect package of somebody on television that doesn't have these flaws and have these other things that just make somebody that interesting kind of character. And the fact that a character like her, and I feel like so many people just assume that that's how she is in real life, these characters that she plays, it's sort of like ditzy, aloof, but to know that she is putting so much thought into all of those little things that she does to just make her such a well-rounded character. It's, it's amazing. Like, true artist that's really clean really fresh (laughs) (laughs) no but it is really nice I think once you've been able to like cement your own career to have your show for so long and then I don't want to say like take your foot off the gas pedal it's not that but I think there's something to being able to just kind of like pause and enjoy the stuff that's around you and not feel like you have to like go 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 so constantly and I want to do things I definitely want to do other things but I think I'm sure you feel the same way. Like the pandemic just changed us. I think fundamentally where it's just like, we went from working six, seven days a week for, for 10 years to like suddenly I was just sitting on my ass for two years. I loved it. You know, I was worried about the world (laughs) like everybody else was, but like, you know, I just loved it. I got to spend time with my cats. I got to spend time with friends, family. It was, it was, it was like, you know, aside from the existential dread that we're all experiencing, I was like, man, this is, this is all, you know, I don't know. I think it changed me. I was thinking I need more of that in my life. No, I agree to that a, a big time. I think it also like puts in perspective when you've been able to have a job in television for so long, like that's the accomplishment. Like what a pat on the back. Like I did that. Not a lot of people get to have a show for that long. And like, I've been able to have a job in television for such a long time. Like how fucking lucky are we to have been able to do that? To now be able to just like kind of enjoy the things that come with that and not have to be in the rat race onto the next. Very lucky. I think so too. It's, I think so too. I don't know. Like, I, you know, it's just a thing where you just like, just try and be grateful. I'll do the show as long as they want me to. If True's like, look, we want you to do five more seasons. I'll do five. I'll, we'll segue right into that Betty White show where they were all <laughs> off the rocket. Like I'll, I'll go right into that. Like I don't ever want to stop doing it. So like, I, I don't know. I just have immense gratitude and stuff like that, which, um, which I think when people lose that is when you, when they want to leave shows and stuff like that. Um, okay. So that being said, sitting in that gratitude, all the great things are there, but you did mention there are some other things that you want to do. What are some of those, uh, some scratches that you want to itch? Well, so I, itches a, you want to scratch? Did I oh, see that plenty backwards? of itches. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> I'm so itchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What a quote. <laughs> um, look, I love comic books and stuff like that. I, I, I really want to, I would really love, like, DC Comics has always been my thing. I love those characters so much. 
So I want to do something in that space before it's all over, whether it be a comic book, whether it be an animated show, whether it be something like, I just want to get paid to write Superman. I don't know. I've always loved him. So there's that. Then I've always loved horror. Like I'm a classic, like I just check boxes of like, you know, like a Gen X geek. Like I want to do, like, I love horror. So it's like, I want to do something in the horror. So I got to do a horror movie and it was so much fun. Uh, What kind of horror are we talking? Like what is your sweet spot in the horror genre? Like I said, man, my decade of growth was the 80s. I like slasher, like corny, like just blood spurting everywhere and like not even realistic. Who cares? Like just sort of fun horror. I don't think I could do like you get like Mike Flanagan, the guy who does um, he did like Oculus and he did Midnight Mass and all these great shows for Netflix. Now Amazon. I can't do what he does because it's like that's a real cerebral, moody atmospheric horror but like if you need like a fun like slasher ghost thing i'm like i'll i'll do that i would love to do that i just more version of shit that you don't have to think about you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah book, superman like just the brightest friendliest guy in the world don't think too much about it no i i hear you on that there's something i don't want to say like formulaic about it but just that kind of like fun layout you know what you're getting you're right you can zone out and just go along for the ride and enjoy that whole thing um dude you got to be in picard what oh my god how great is that how great I'm trying to fix this camera for you that's okay so i'm not a trekkie but picard is incredible oh my god what a great show what was your experience like working on that well, it was nuts because, all right, so it's, it's actually an interesting story behind that, that, that I like, like to tell. Like, so, the, so the guy who, who show runs Picard is a good buddy of mine, my buddy Terry. He created the TV show 12 Monkeys, and he ran MacGyver. Now he's on Picard. Now he's on some other things. And he's a fan of Jokers. That's how we met. He, when 12 Monkeys premiered, I went to the premiere party in L.A., we, we hit it off really well, became really good friends. So he put me in 12 Monkeys as this character named Dale. It's a small scene and I'm on a, a date. I'm on a first date with someone. I had this ugly ass tie and then 12 Monkeys ended. Then when he started MacGyver, he's like, hey, um, would you be interested in flying down to Atlanta to shoot Dale in, in MacGyver? So great, let's do it. So now I have a scene. Where MacGyver's on a date and sitting at the next table, I'm wearing the same tie. I have the tie somewhere right over here. Um, and Dale's there, and Dale gives MacGyver something that allows him to, like, you know, how MacGyver makes a paperclip into some shit. Um, now we're like, well, this is really exciting because now Dale's been in two shows, and if you two shows across two different networks, and if you follow the storyline from the first, to the, like, from the first date to the second date, there's actually like a loose story. So now he's like. Now I'm sure running Picard. How do we get Dale into Picard? So he writes Dale into it. And I'm like, I'm like, this is great. I'm like, so now there's a storyline. Now this story, Dale's story continues into Picard. This is your own spinoff. We call it the Dale-verse. And then I put oh. Dale on the Practical Jokers uh, in a scene. So now Dale's been in four shows across four different networks. Dale's got that sag card, baby. He's going to get it. So now, all right, but Terry doesn't tell me that he's putting me in a serious scene. I thought... He was going to put me, I thought, you know, it's me. It's like, you're not going to put me in a serious scene. But sure enough, he throws me in a scene with Patrick Stewart. And it's a serious scene. I was like, Terry, I'm going to ruin this. I'm going to ruin this scene. You don't understand. You can't do this. And he's like, no, trust me. It'll be great. Great. And, And it's COVID. So like now we have to be in an actor's holding pen. And it's this really weird thing where it's like they take blue tape 
and they put it on the floor and they put the actors in this and they're like, you can't leave and nobody can come in that. It's COVID. So I'm in this box with Patrick Stewart for six hours. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, what would you do? Like, what do you do in that situation? What's like, how do you spark up a conversation with Patrick Stewart? Uh, pretty, it's, it turns out pretty easily because he's, he likes telling stories of the old days, which is like unbelievable. Like you just unbelievable. He's telling stories about acting on the stage in, in London and stuff like that. And of course he had never heard of Impractical Jokers like ever which is crazy because when we pitched Impractical Jokers, in the original pitch, we were driving around to these stupid bits in a talking van. And we wanted uh, Patrick Stewart to voice the van and the van hated us. And uh, the van, uh, we had, he was narrating. So when True, when we, when True brought the show, the first thing they got rid of is just like, we're not, we're not reaching out to Patrick Stewart. All right, all right, no problem. Then we did the Impractical Jokers movie and we we wrote a part for Patrick Stewart in it. And then once again, they, actually this time they reached out and his people just flat out said no. When I <laughs> oh, talked man. to Patrick Stewart, I was like, I told him everything I just told you. And he was like, I have never heard of that. I goes, he goes, yeah, I might've done it if they had told me. He goes, I promise they didn't tell me. So there was a little bit of back and forth, but mainly it was just me in awe and like trying not to talk too much because I'm like, I don't want to, I don't know if he's got a process. You know what I mean? I, I don't know anything. I know nothing. What do I know? I'm an idiot. So it was crazy though, man. It was crazy. And then, and then, and then when I saw the episode, I was like, man, I look fat. Uh, so that was my, that was my takeaway from being in an, in a scene, uh, being like Picard scene partner was that I look fat. So, you know, Oh my God. Literally anytime I see myself on television, I'm like, do my arms look thin? Where are my arms at? Do they look all right? That's like my, that's my big hang up is whether or not my arms look thin. So I I hear you. I I I can tell you they do. If you wear a large sweatshirt, no one can really tell the difference. So it's fine. It's fine. Sir Patrick Stewart, though, man, what an absolute legend. That is so cool. Not only that you got to work with him on camera, but just to like get to spend that time off camera with him to like shoot the shit. It was great. And I stepped on one of his lines in the scene and I was like, oh, and, and oh, and the director of the episode was Leia Thompson, who I still have a crush on from Back to the Future. So like when I went, so now I'm getting directed by Lorraine McFly. Like I said, like I live on Staten Island. We don't have these experiences here. So it was like, it was pretty out there. It was great. Oh my gosh. That's really like the who's who because her daughter, Zoe Deutsch, I'm a massive fan of hers. I mean, damn, that girl's career is just on the up and ups with every little thing she does. She's she's special. Um, you must obviously follow Patrick Stewart on Instagram. He's one of like the best Instagram followers, just him in his lab. So wholesome. Yeah, it's him being <laughs> super fun and stuff like that. Yeah, he came across to me exactly like he comes off on, on that that feed. Um, okay, so going back to like when you guys started, because you guys really broke out on like that YouTube, MySpace, like really taking over what those social platforms were to get out there, be seen and get a television show from that. But looking at the way that that has all changed over the course of the past, God, however many years, um, do you have any advice for people that are trying to be seen on all these multiple platforms and how to make that work? Because you guys did it, but it's obviously changed so much since then. I don't even know how to work half that crap anymore. Like I'm like, I, the, I, I'm like, does that um, freak you out? Not being able to work those things. I, I think my life is better because I can't work those things. I think it's like, they're not on my radar. So I don't worry about it. Uh, my advice to anybody would be just, and, and I think the value 
of consistency is underrated. I think it, it comes down to consistency. When I was in that version of the game, like you have to, you have to give people a reason to come back. So whatever that is, like as long as you're constantly doing it and constantly giving people a reason to come back, I would say that's it. I think a lot of people start, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and they do like three videos and then like a week. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's It's a lot of work. I think people don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it just comes down consistently and outlasting people. Like just never stop. If you never stop, like you've already kind of won in a way, but we like when we, when we pitched practical jokers, our agents told us, and I was 30, five when we were pitching jokers and my agent said to me uh us the four of us you guys are too old to be on tv don't try to sell the show for yourself like just make it for teenagers and you know that's our agent telling us that we were too old you know and if we had listened to him you know we wouldn't be in the place where we are today it was we just kept our head down and, and and kept going and it's just hard work and consistency i think that's there's really no shortcuts around around that i think It's really crazy when you think of some of the advice that you get along the way. And I know I've definitely fallen to the trap, you know, along the way through my career. You assume that your agent knows best or this person knows best. But being able to like be selective about what advice you're actually going to take in and what you're going to apply to your work, um, I think is a big one, too, because not everyone sees the picture the same way that you do. Yeah. And I've I've gotten bad advice and, and, and acted on bad advice and regretted it. They're so good at making you feel like you're lucky to be there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like that is the power that I guess the people in the industry have over over uh, people like us, because they're like, there's this version of it where it's just like, hey, if you don't want to do it the way we want to do it, you know, what are you going to do? You Someone know, Someone else then, is going to do it. They're not wrong. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like that. You've got to find your own value. And they still do that to us. Like we still hear that all the time. Like now it's like now the refrain that we hear actually not since discovery took over Warner brothers. It hasn't really been this as much, but the refrain was, well, we already have 300 episodes. So what do we need more from you? So you're lucky to still be making, and it's like, come on, man. Like when, at what point does the respect, like where does it come in? You just got to laugh and be like, it is what it is, man. You can't get, you can't get caught down by it. It's going to follow you hard. I guess. It's all the cliches is all I can give anybody yeah. for advice. Yeah. Trust in yourself. Keep your head down, work hard. That sort of thing. Consistency is key. Definitely. Brian Myers. I've never called you Brian Myers out loud until right now. Yeah, weird, right? How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. What's going on in your world? You're a busy guy, huh? Super busy, yeah, which is a good thing in pro wrestling. But uh, yeah, crazy busy, too busy. Rattle off some of the things because I mean, yeah, I mean, just going through your your bio, your history, the things that you're doing now um, between being in the ring, outside the ring. I mean, you are booked and busy, baby. First and foremost, I'm happily married and uh, the father of two insane little girls that I love to death. So that is a uh, job number one that keeps me very much on my toes. But as far as pro wrestling, the Major Wrestling Figure podcast, which has just grown into something absolutely unbelievable, uh, full time with Impact Wrestling, as well as you know my independent wrestling dates and signings and things like that. And I'm the uh, co-head trainer of Creative Pro Wrestling Academy, where I'm training guys. And uh, yeah, so it just it never ends. Okay, so starting off with what you started off with, being happily married with kids, how do you book your own schedule to make time for all of the things, to be in all of the places? I feel like I'm still figuring this all out, so 
Teach me. Well, I'm take not, me under your I'm learning not, tree. I'm not saying what I do is perfect by any means, and it, 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 no, but what works for you? It never will be. You know, I mean, I literally an hour ago realized that I can't go to like a wedding with my wife this summer because I have an Impact Wrestling date. You know, so but that's part of the biz. You know, what is the communication like between you and your wife for her to know where you're gonna be and how do you guys do that? Because God, sometimes we hit roadblocks. I'm like, are you kidding me? How did I not know you had to leave to go do this thing? This I do have advice on, and this is all. Credit to my wife. She's amazing. She made a mutual calendar. So when I can link something on our phones, since my post-WWE career, we've had this now, this system where before, like you said, just roadblock after roadblock when you don't know. Yeah. But now I literally know and I put something in, she's seeing it too. So she doesn't even ask me, like, hey, what are you doing Saturday? Oh, no, I know you have a signing in Philly. You know, we don't have yeah, as much smart. You know, miscommunications anymore. Yeah. So that, that was a big game changer. And I'm a technology idiot so that was all her and her idea. i didn't even know that was a thing that you could do okay so see that's what i need to do because i put everything i do in my phone because like my own schedule is insane and then adding in john's schedule to that yes yeah, sometimes i'm like oh my god what is going on right now it's one click i just hit brian and liz and then it goes to the <laughs> you know, okay i'm gonna now. be messaging your wife and go how did you do this can you give me some kind of like database in order to like structure all of these things so that's been a big game changer. But like I said, I'm going to miss this wedding because I have wrestling. And that's just part of the lifestyle. You know, you know, we reap so many rewards for what we do. But then there's things like that that, you know, I'd say a civilian doesn't really run into problems like that as much. That's the give and take of the business, you know. And um, I think my thing is I kind of over deliver when I am home, you know, which my, my wife probably doesn't, you know. <laughs> appreciate that much but it's like oh you took the girls out you guys you bought them whatever they wanted and ice cream and you know hey dads do just, what you gotta do it that's is just kind of what the way it I is am, yeah um okay two things one what is the most important thing that you have missed due to being a professional wrestler for the past god however many years um i don't th- <laughs> i don't know I'm not sure if I've like been around for one actual anniversary. A lot of our lives is celebrating things not on the actual date that they are. Yeah, I think I've missed several birthdays. And the girls are little enough that I, you know, if I'm there for the party because we've planned that months ahead and we know, you know, things like that. But the actual physical day that would be their birthday or, or a lot of our anniversaries, I've, I've certainly missed a ton. And I missed a ton of fr- like good friends' weddings and things like that or the ones that like, feel exceptionally bad about is if I miss like a funeral or something that I should probably be at and that's like way out of my hands you know something unexpected like that I feel like I kick myself a lot in hindsight now and I think as my life changes of being married having my own daughter those things that like when my friends were all doing that far before I was I was like okay cool and like admiring it from a distance and now realizing to me how important all those things are. I'm like, oh my God, what a piece of shit that I missed these weddings and I missed these birthdays. And like, yeah, they just, they didn't like quite hit the radar the same way that it does now. And now I have like this like burning um, guilt that is hard to shake off. Becoming a parent changes you in an epic way that like you're kind of saying is unexplainable to people that aren't there yet. And then once you know, you know, and it's just one of those things. It's just, 
is absolutely life changing. Like I was the guy on a flight before I had a kid with a baby's crying. I'm like, man, shut, someone shut this baby up. Now I'm like, there's a baby crying. On the what, what should we do? Like, I'm like, you know, it know. just changes everything about you as a person, you know? I know when I'm traveling without Nora now and I see like a little girl near or a little boy, whatever. And then especially if you see like a solo parent traveling, I'm like, oh, I like just struggling. salute yeah. you. I oh, see you. Yeah. Yeah, it is not crazy. easy. Everyone's like already stressed waiting before they get on that flight. Um, okay, my second question to you is because you've been a professional wrestler for so long, your body has been put through the ringer. How is it getting down on the ground and playing with your kids and keeping that energy up? How do you that, do that? Hard. That is hard. That is hard. Especially <laughs> yeah. my kids are five and a half and two and a half and they're like full of energy. And, uh, you know, my my two year old idolizes my five year old, wants to do whatever she wants to do. And she she's excelled so much faster and quicker and things like that. Um but it's a blast. You know, I try like I just try to live in the moment when I'm home because I am away so much, you know. So when they ask me to play with their Barbie dream house I'm staring at over here, you know, I <laughs> I do. Yeah. Buckle up. Do what you got to yeah. do. Well, let's talk about your career now. Um, you obviously have a ton of success working with Impact, all the things you've rattled off from the podcast. And we'll get into that stuff, too. Um, obviously, a very different time in wrestling now as opposed to when you left WWE before and you were still working the Andes, you were out there doing TNA, like you were out still busy doing things, but the business has still changed a lot in those God almost 10 years. How is the business different and how is your career different now? It's certainly uh, different. I, I kind of said this to someone the other day in an interview, like, you know, there's the eighties rock and wrestling and the attitude era and we're living in something right now. It doesn't have a name yeah, yet. Yeah. What would <laughs> you, know, you name it? No what would you name this know. version? Uh, the Tony Connor. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Because he's 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 pretty much to thank, I think, for you know, sure. all the jobs and opportunities you know that weren't there before that you know it was a monopoly. So uh, it's definitely fun and it's something. Um, I, I think through the podcast, Matt and I have Matt Cardona and I have, we've really found like kind of a cheat code to the business because we really work for ourselves now and we don't have to be employed by anyone to get by. Like certainly not at all anymore, and that's does we don't have to like beg for things and it's it's a big difference you know it makes a really big difference when you're in that position of power uh, it's unbelievable to me that like i could break my leg tomorrow and still make a hell of a living just talking about talking about wrestling toys which i love you know it's like still doing still doing what i love so it's it's a very very uh fortunate position to be in and I'm, it's just kind of cool how it all played out like this was there ever a time in your career and you've been doing this for such a long time when those opportunities weren't around and there wasn't, I don't want to call it like a safety net because it's not that it's a safety net. The world has just changed and these opportunities have changed. Would there have ever been a moment earlier on in your career where you would have been like, maybe this isn't for me for longevity purposes? No, actually, it's crazy. I just, um, well, one, I, I think that's a negative mindset if you really want to do something to have like, sure. and I know it's terrible advice to some people. You no, know, but I've to, always been like to that go to college too, right? and this and that. Yeah. And I was like, dude, my mom, I, we were, my mom and I were talking about the other day. I was like, you know, I'd be like, I don't care about this. I don't, what I want to do, I don't need school. And I'm just in that situation. Like, I know that's important to people in life and stuff, but I'm, I'm pretty sure like I'm going to do this and that, that it is what it is. It all worked out for some reason. I've, I, there was yeah. definitely lean years in my, my first WWE firing and where wrestling wasn't thriving like it is now, you know, where I was like, man, should I start like Ubering during the weekdays or something? <laughs> you know, but like then then Mark Carano called and rehired me just when it was getting a little iffy, you know what I mean? So I've just had get that 203 I've, number I've had, pop up yeah, on your I've phone, had that, you know, kind of dumb Irish luck my whole life beyond wrestling. 
I agree with you to that point. I remember like, God, early on in my career, I was reading this book from a Janis Joplin book and there was this quote about that too, about like not having a fallback plan because you will fall back on it. And that like really stuck with me um, that I was just like, nope, I'm going to stay the course. And you, you just find a way. That has been like another thing, I think, almost to what this generation is as well, too, is like finding those other ways, finding those other avenues, whether it's doing indie bookings and doing signings. And that's always existed. It's just such a different vibe than it is now. I think Matt kind of started that in wrestling and doesn't really get his full credit for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. I do feel like there's a, a big group of people that really see what Matt has been able to do, especially in like his exit from WWE and all the amazing things he's been able to do to really turn people's heads. I do think he gets those accolades, but yeah, not even to the degree that he does. But he, he started 11 years ago with his his YouTube show that was like you know unthinkable to do something like that and make it work you know your relationship with Matt what were the early days of like what was the first meeting of you and Matt not exactly like stepbrothers you know when stepbrothers like you have to call me red dragon or whatever you know what I mean like because <laughs> yeah we were the same exact height the same exact build we had the same stupid little Abercrombie and Fitch haircut like shout out to Abercrombie making a comeback everybody <laughs> apparently yeah and and we were at this wrestling school and he says it this way too. And I, I say too, like, I don't think a lot of people are like, man, I'm going to be the best tag team wrestler in the world. Like from day one, I think that's something you fall in love with when you get into the business, you know, you admire it, but I don't think that's like your goal because you're a person, you know, so you don't automatically think to be a tag team champion. So like we're both at this wrestling school only like a couple months in, we're staring at each other. Like this guy's my competition. We're the exact same. Like this isn't good. And we had, we both had the same mindset. People were saying, well, you guys look alike. You should be a team. And we're both thinking like, that's not what we want to do. And we're very, very standoffish with each other. And Matt, you know Matt, he's not he's pretty rude naturally anyway. You know what I mean? Like he's pretty not exactly a people. He can person. just have a bit of a rude face even without meaning to. Like it's not a resting bitch face. It's like something it's close. It's, close. Yeah. <laughs> it's in and around yeah. that neighborhood. Yeah. And he can be like, you know, very firm with his responses and th- I don't know. So it was like, Jesus. And then it really was wrestling figures that like broke the ice between us to make us like these great friends because back then you know 2003 you're not gonna like just go to wrestling school and tell these guys you collect wrestling figures or play with them or anything it was like beyond something you wouldn't do to like even like a grizzled indie veteran much less you know we eventually get signed and we're in the WWE locker room with Undertaker and Bob Holly you think we're gonna tell them that we collect wrestling figures like we'd be beaten to death you know so um that really was the thing that broke the ice between us you know to cement our friendship for years and years I feel like if I were to close my eyes right now, like you guys even sound, I mean, I know that happens when you've been friends with someone for such a long time. You guys have like the same cadence yeah. in everything. He, he's got the deeper Long Island, like Italian accent for <laughs> me. No, you have like, a, you have a little something, something going on too. I can't put my finger on it, but there's a few times I'm like, oh yeah, you guys even sound, sound. Like, Certain words yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So for you guys to be able to build your careers together, um, what was it like coming in to work with Edge? Those like early days of like those edgehead days, everything that went on there again with you guys being such big fans and then to be put with somebody like Edge, what what were like those early conversations you guys were having with each other and like pitch wise? So literally we're 22 and we're on the main roster. Whatever plans they had for us never happened. And so there was no plans for us and we were just drowning like 22 year old kids in a man's (laughs) world. Like we were all we're going to work with men and we're not men yet. We're just idiots. And like just drowning on the main roster, like nothing for us to do, floundering. And we thought this up in the car one night. 
Edge was a hello and goodbye guy to us at the time, you know? That, that was our whole relationship. See him in catering, say hello, and at the end of the night, you see him, say goodbye. That was about it. And I was like, okay, well, what if we tell him about this idea? So we garnished the courage to go up to him and say, hey, we have this idea. And he said, and it, you would think back on it, like, maybe this is the ultimate, like, blow off. He's like, here's my email. Email it to me. <laughs> okay. So then I was like, okay, either way, he's like this respected veteran. I said I was going to do something. I got to do it now. So, like, we crafted this email. I sent it to him. And then, like... It worked. He read it and loved it, and that got the ball rolling, you know, and it made it all happen. And, like, what I think really made it work so much is because it was real, because Matt and I were, like, truly just big fans of his, and we were green as hell and, like, truly learning from him, watching him. And I've said this a million times. In 2008, he's the best wrestler in the world. He's he's the WWE champion, the top guy. He works the main event of the live events, all the pay-per-views, and we we couldn't have had a better seat to watch him do it, you know? So it was this invaluable experience that, I think, and Matt, I'm sure will tell you too, like shaped our whole careers, you know, because it was like a insane zero to 60 thing. You know what I mean? So what were some of the things that you did learn from Edge that you kind of keep with you today? The slowing down aspect of wrestling that's very hard for people. And, you know, I see with my students and anyone, you're just so new and excited. And the, the idea of doing nothing is scary. You feel like you just need to constantly be doing something. And that's not the case at all. You know, it's better to let things breathe and play out. And it's, it's hard. To control your emotions and your excitement to do things like that, you know? You mentioned being like 22 and being like a kid in a man's world. And I feel now being 37, dun, dun, dun. Like John and I were out of the Bengals game the other week. I'm like, oh my God, like Joe Burrow is 25 years I hate old. That like, isn't sport. it crazy? I'm a big sports crazy? fan, so I hate thinking like, yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, I know you're a big Mets guy, but like when you see these guys and you look up like their, their like birth year, it's like, oh my God, like these are boys in this like man's world. And it's so crazy that like, I feel like in wrestling, it's nice. I mean, you get more of that maturation process, I guess, to a degree that a lot of times you don't really hit your stride until you're in like your mid thirties. Where like other sports, it's it's not always like that. You really got it like by 25, 26, you're in like your prime years. Baseball, you could be retired by like 33. It's like, what do you do with the rest of your life? Yeah. But as to what you're saying, people are always surprised. They'll like, they'll talk sports with me and then they'll, they'll get into like college sports. And I do not follow college sports at all. Like I have no interest in it. And they're, they'll like be like, what? Why? And I'm like, well, to be honest, I know what immature dipshit I was in college. So like, I don't want to be watching these guys on a Saturday. Like I'm just thinking that the whole time. Like these guys are thinking about... Doing keg stands and shit. They don't care. Like, <laughs> totally. It's hard, it's hard for me to get into. <laughs> I know. I think that sometimes I'm like going to like interview some of these like Bengals players. But even like at AEW, it's got a very young roster. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel so ancient right now that like there are these like kids that just have like the world ahead of them. And like they have these big adult responsibilities. It's it's really crazy. How did you feel like that? I mean, I know you talk, you know, you've said by being a kid in like a man's world, but having those responsibilities pretty early on in life, like getting paid a decent amount of money and traveling the world. Like, how did you like manage all that? It, it was tough. It was like give and go type thing. But like I, Matt and I were always very respectful because we we're such fans, you know, I think that ha- that helped. But it was also we couldn't show that side and we knew enough to not to do that and just to be respectful with everybody. And honestly, in WWE at that, that point, you're just you're trying to avoid heat. You know what I mean? You're trying to avoid yeah. pissing someone off yeah. that's going to tell someone and it's going to trickle and the heat grows. You know, that's like the thing, you know. We knew back then what would get us heat at work and we just avoided it. And I think that was like the best thing we did. But but we did have to learn quick, you know. We're renting cars and doing all this stuff and travel like crazy stuff that other kids my age were not doing for sure. 
Do you feel like that has changed a lot now? What it's, do you it, it see? Might, it might have changed too much. <laughs> it's changed too a much. lot. It That's one of the things like, yeah. yeah, I mean, just looking at like, I mean, yeah, everything you've been able to do and to be able to see having your own wrestling school, you're teaching in the new generation. What are you seeing from this generation that's so like, different? Just too much entitlement. Too much entitlement. Where does that come from? What is I don't is know because that? I'm 37 now and I'm not 22, so I don't know. But like what I had, maybe a little too deep. What it is now, too deep the other way. We need something to the middle because the entitlement that people have in the business nowadays is, is wild to me. I mean, the story is, I don't know if it ages well, but like when we first got called up, you're not even allowed in the locker room. So Matt, Matt and I, our main roster talent, but we changed with extras in every building for at least the first three months. And then we had to like go up to Chris Benoit as the locker room leader and be like, sir, we've been on the main roster a couple of months now. We would like to know if it's okay if we could, you know, change with the boys. But that was a big moment for you guys, I'm sure. Yeah, to that's like, why I remember it so clear. But exactly. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it needs to be like that extreme. You know, but you do need to have some kind of respect where like but now somebody new somebody ex- new starts and they, they throw the shit all around the locker room. It's like they own it. You know, I mean, it's a big difference. Then let's find the happy medium. That's all I'm saying. OK, you can say that that is extreme to like not change in the locker room, ask permission to get in that locker room. But it is that rite of passage. And like, did anything bad really happen from like not being in the locker room? It just kind of like puts you in your place. I'm sure some other shit maybe got went down. But- yeah, but you it makes you realize how low on the totem pole you are. Right. You can't even change with the boys. It really is crazy to see. And like, I keep trying to like kind of put my finger on it too, where it's like, God, does everyone just feel like they deserve television time and they deserve to have 20 minute matches? Like there was times when I, I felt this, I don't know if it's necessarily true, but when I was doing like the losing streak in WWE, I felt like people thought like these people that didn't love the business or care about maybe like football player developmental people would think like I sucked because I lost all the time. Not that I was playing this character that did that and it was entertaining, you know, like that part is like a little, you know. (laughs) How do we scale it back? What needs to happen to scale things back? Because it really is so far the other way where Eh, it's got to come from up top. You know what I mean? It's got to come from management or top, top locker room guys, you know. Right. I know. I was like, I I always say I love the quote that the first guy through the wall is the one who gets a little bloody. You know what I mean? The first one to say, hey, you kids are being a bunch of assholes. Let's tone it down, you know. No, for sure. And like, I don't know if it's like, as I keep trying to like kind of put my own finger on, I'm like, is it because of like social media and everyone's social media is just like curated to them? So everyone's just reading how great they are all the time from their fans. And like, that's great. I think that's another big problem in the business. I think people, <laughs> you know, the people start blocking everyone that says everything bad to them. And the next thing you know, their whole timeline is just like all praise and it it's messes up your self, you know, impression. Like, I don't know. I don't block anyone. I like people <laughs> telling me I have to fuck off. I think it's Do whatever. we sound it's not ruin do we my sound day. so disgruntled right now? Oh my gosh. I just am a realist <laughs> that like, you know, I pretend fight in spandex with my friends for money and I don't need to take it that seriously. I take it seriously, but I don't need to take it that seriously if you know what I mean. Of course, of course. Um okay, so the losing streak um gimmick, how what was like the pitch for that? There was no pitch. <laughs> You just kept the train going. I mean, man, they, they brought me back in 2016. I'll never forget, Road Dog called me and was like, I, want, I personally want you on the SmackDown roster. And then he had big plans for me. And then it just like absolutely never happened for whatever reason. I still don't know to this day. Uh, I think I beat Apollo Crews once and then I just never won again. Yeah, I'd been in WWE already. So like I knew how the place worked and I was just, you know, 
I go out there and do the do whatever's asked of me to the best of my abilities. That's just always, like I said, it's not real. I don't take it personally that I'm putting someone over or whatever. Would I like to win? Of course, we all would. But I'm just going to do my job to the best of my ability. So one day, I want to say I was on the road, and I kept getting tweeted this like article of fans like commenting, and I'm like, what? And it was some dirt sheet wrote article that I had lost a hundred matches in a row. But like instead of like being all sad about, it, I'm like, well, that's definitely true. And then uh, I was pitching to the writers like this losing streak, yada, 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 like whoever would listen would listen, think it's cool, whatever, and I'd probably surprise that somebody was, not many people in wrestling, you know, willingly want to lose all the time. But I, I had the foresight to see that maybe there was something there. And then I'll never forget, one day at Barclays, this writer comes out of the writer room, and he goes, today's your day, Hawkins, you're going to beat Heath Slater on main event. And I'm like, yo, people aren't even going to remember that by the time they leave this building, much less, like, I'd, I said, I'd rather, like, just keep this losing streak thing going and see where it goes. It was Vince who said in the meeting, like, let's give Hawkins one in his hometown. I said, if I just ask you this, is Vince the only one, you know, part of this creative team that doesn't know about the street? And they were like, that's probably a safe bet. I was like, can we at least, like, tell him and see if he cares? And then once it was in his brain, then that was it. Then it was never discussed again. It was just a thing. I showed him the T-shirt that was, like, a good seller. He loved that. At one point in Raw, there was a countdown clock thing that me and Vince came up with, (laughs) you know, so... Would we all love to be Roman Reigns? Yes. But there's only so many spots like that on the show. You know, we're not all Zach Morris. Sometimes we got to be hanging out at the, uh, the, the cafe in the background. And that's fine. I'm still part of the team and I'm still part of the show. And I was, I, did, I never made more money, had more fun. It was incredible, actually. They, and then the crowd organically turned me babyface, which is something I never even thought was possible. People started <laughs> to feel bad for me. You know, there was real sympathy. Yeah. And they, we'd be at these live events in Bumblefuck and people would be going nuts cheering for me because they wanted to just, to be a part of it and be like, hey, I was there when he won. You know, it was pretty amazing. It's cool when something organic like that can just happen and you get behind it and you make something of it, you know? To be fair, did I think it was going to go 269? <laughs> no. No. But it's actually it, pretty impressive. That's something to hang yeah, your hat yeah. on. Yeah, it's I know. a lot. I mean, <laughs> did I think it was going to go 269 losses? No, but it was all worth it. And I used to never envision like people like, how do you want this to end? And I was like, I don't want to think about that. Because it's so much easier for me to come into work and be like, what's your finish? I'll take it to the best I can. <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah, like yeah. almost no politics in wrestling for me. It was like really great time. And if I just kept daydreaming about winning and how it would end, it wouldn't be as fun. And then without me doing that, and I don't know how this happened, but it ended in the best way imaginable. Like I could have never written that up. Like, oh, no, win the tag team titles with your best friend in your hometown building like at WrestleMania. Talk to me about like that moment um, for you and Matt to be able to have that moment against FTR revival at the time um, to be able to have that moment. I mean, what a that's like the the career, not a career defining moment, but everybody wants their mania moment. And it sounds like you had like a pretty perfect one. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's like a storybook thing that I couldn't have written if you asked me to write down like how to do it. Right. It just kind of fell into our lap. And to be honest, I think it's two things. I think FTR asked to defend the tag titles. I think they that was important to them to as the tag team champions to represent them on the show. And then at the same time, Matt and I had an idea about like incorporating the losing streak stuff into the Andre Battle Royal, which we just completely assumed we were in, right? <laughs> you know, like we just assumed. We had no idea there were that year there was like some SNL involvement and we had no clue. So we had planned to see Vince. Someone smartened us up to the SNL thing. So now, like, our wind is, like, out of our sails. And we know, like, what we want to do is not going to work because it's, it's just not what the match is focused on. So we waited, talked to Vince. This is, like, the TV before the go-home TV. So we're talking, like, you know, less than two weeks out from WrestleMania. And we gave a very, uh, well, hold on. There's one more piece of the story. Before we go in, 
there was this really weird thing where Corano was asking people what they're wearing at Mania, and we had to submit them, and I was super pumped about my gear because it was Jets-themed stuff in the New York Jets building. I'll never forget. Broski goes, man, you shouldn't have sent him that. I'm like, why? He goes, nothing, nothing good's going to come. I'm like, I go, dude, there's no way anyone in this company cares what Kurt Hawkins is wearing at WrestleMania. That's the least of anyone's worries. And that day, we're talking to Vince. We came in, and Corano goes, oh, Vince said you can't wear that. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just, to this day, I'm speechless going like, why would he care what I'm wearing? <laughs> so now we're going to see Vince. Our pitch is dead. But I'm like, I don't even care about this pitch. I got to ask him like about my gear because no one's making Kurt Hawkins' new gear less than two weeks before Mania. I already paid for that. Like, this it's a one-time wear for the building that we're in. Like, who gives a shit? So Broski takes the lead on the pitch, and it's very half-winded, and we know this is, like, pointless. And he literally said, oh, you know, great, you know, but we already have something in mind for that. And I said, Vince, one more thing. Uh, I heard you don't, like, my gear or whatever and then he's like yeah yeah and i was like do you know the significance of it he goes let me guess the new york jets and i'm for, i'm shocked that he like even made that correlation and i go yeah and then i just like i don't know if it like fired me up that we were like getting this back and forth and then i was like yeah you know wwe's biggest underdog and nfl's biggest underdog and this you know in their building you know blah, blah blah and i like gave him a very compassionate plea as to why i should wear their stuff and he was like oh god damn it Hawkins, just wear it and he smacked me in the back and i like i went yeah I, like fired up and we had this like broski's just watching this whole thing just like what the fuck is going on and like we left we left feeling oh i left feeling great that i won that talk but unbeknownst to me i think that just got his wheels spinning about this match that we were never gonna have you know that he just made i think that plea got his wheels spinning and he changed everything to make the match with less than you know 10 days to go or whatever it was Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking Having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So I'm uh, really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.